welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is jerome myers from the myers development group welcome jerome ram i'm glad to be with you thanks for having me thanks for being on the show a little bio about jerome Jerome Myers leads the Myers Development Group LLC which focuses on buying broken apartment building businesses and using innovative thinking and solid execution strategies to optimize the operational efficiency of the business. Currently Mr Myers is asset manager for approximately 90 units and 90000 square feet of workforce housing across Virginia and North Carolina and on a mission to hold 1000 doors by the end of 2028 when not actively working on his personal portfolio he coaches other real estate investors on the myers methods of multifamily investing outside of real estate jerome hosts the dream catchers and myers methods presents multifamily missteps podcast volunteers on stem boards and enjoys traveling internationally with that welcome jerome again thanks for having me rama long intro so <laughs> <laughs> do you like to add anything to your background no i mean i'm a corporate america dropout that's the long and the short of it i built a 20 million dollar business in corporate america was employee number 2 and over the course of a year we went to 20 million dollars 6 million dollars in profit and about 175 employees my reward for that was laying about half of that workforce off I remember distinctly having a conversation with my supervisor on Christmas Eve and he's saying, "Jerome, we're going to continue without half the folks. You need to pick your team so that you can move forward." And that was when I decided that I would never be in a place where somebody else told me I had to lay people off. And so I started building my plan and leave corporate America and then at the end of the next year I was able to do so. So, what is your current focus and how did you started into real estate and multifamily? Yeah, so we buy workforce housing in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh we do joint venture structure instead of syndication. I know that's all the rage, but I grew up the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom, and so my network is very different from many of those who are, you know, wealthy for lack of a better way of saying it. And so we typically buy things that are under 75 units and we go in and we reposition them. uh refinance out original investment and then either sell those properties to other people or keep them for long-term cash flow. So what made you shifting towards multifamily? I was a conversation I had on the stoop with my buddy Deron sophomore year in college. We did the math and I guess that's what all good engineering students do when they're outside of class. I was paying 395, I had two roommates paying 395, the same thing was happening in his apartment and we multiplied that out across the complex. and what we found was the owner was making about $700,000 a year in top line revenue and for us we never seen him we never talked to him we just thought that was amazing and so it was our goal to figure out a way to decouple our time for money we wanted to do apartments but we didn't know how to do it and so we went off and started our corporate careers and when i realized that i wasn't going to continue to climb that ladder i can't try to i came back home to the thing that I realized I wanted to do it in college. So Jerome, uh, so which markets you are focusing? We buy in Central North Carolina, specifically Greensboro 
and then we'll do an hour and a half around. So that'll get us into Raleigh and the Charlotte markets as well. Okay, great. And uh, what kind of deals and what size of deals you're looking? Um, as I mentioned, you know, we like things that are under 75 units and really focused on kind of workforce housing, not affordable or low income and not class A luxury, but kind of the stuff in the middle. Uh, we look for C buildings and B neighborhoods. What kind of business plan you would implement uh, once you identify the deals? We've done a few different types of business plans. Uh, what we are really looking for is in the first year to two, we want to be able to increase the net operating income by about $200 per door. And if we can do that successfully, then we're pretty certain that we can refinance the property and return the initial equity investment out of the deal. This allows us to go and buy something new without actually having to sell the property. So how do you source your deals? The majority of our deals have come either through direct to seller or by broker. Uh, we've bought a few off of the commercial listing services, but the majority, again, has been direct to seller or, um, you know, some form of off market. Great. So how do you raise capital for your deals? We do the joint venture model, right? So we're not capital raisers. Our partners bring money to the deals and we execute via our partners. We, we're not syndicating. So why JVs over syndications? We like JVs over syndications because we believe that it is a realistic model for people who are newer in their multifamily investing career. I like in going to take down a hundred unit deal or a $10 million deal, like a lot of the educators are teaching people to do, to go in and catch Moby Dick, right? I think you should go tuna fishing first and get some fish in a boat, prove that you can actually operate, prove that you like being out in the ocean and fishing. And then from there, you can go get these big things. But this whole idea of getting rich quick and getting rich on your first deal just isn't realistic from my perspective. Right. So uh, what kind of roles each partner will perform in giant ventures? Uh, it's all in what the deal needs, right? People can participate in every piece of the process. And so we have a four-step process. We find deals, fund them, fix them, and flip them. And so there's a numerous tasks underneath each one of those steps in the process. And we assign and either divide and conquer those tasks or multiple people work on them in order to make sure that they're able to certify or prove that they've been active in the deal. A lot of this stuff happens up front in due diligence, but there's a considerable amount of things that have to happen along the way. Many of it being the operational decisions of what to do with the business in order to successfully execute the business plan. So uh, regarding capital, so your partners will raise capital or they'll bring their own cash? They should be bringing their own cash. Uh, we don't check on how they come up with the capital that comes into the deal. We just know what their commitment is. What kind of precautions we need to take when you're joining in your JV? So I think the most important thing is making sure that you know your partners, right? If you don't actually know who you're going into business with, it could be something very messy. I think the only thing that's probably more dangerous to your wealth accumulation is than a bad partnership is a bad marriage, right? And so you want to make sure that you're partnering with people who have similar values and think about the world in a very similar way so that you're able to go out and execute these deals without a lot of friction within the partnership. Right. So normally, where do you find uh, your partners or you know, uh, investors? Many of my partners are friends from high school. 
Um, you know, we've known each other for a really long time. Some of them were college, other people I met on boards of educational institutions, uh, and then a very small group of people I worked with in previous capacities. And so, you know, it, it kind of varies. I, I don't have any partners from Maria. I don't have any partners that I met at a conference. These are all longstanding relationships with people that, you know, I actually know them and their kids and their wives and so on and so forth. What's your like split structure uh, with your joint partners? Uh, so there's, we usually split our deals. Somebody, whoever finds a deal gets some equity for that. For signing a loan, depending on loan size, you get some equity for that. And then the balance is made by capital contributions. And so, you know, if we gave away 30% or 70% of the equity for those tasks that I mentioned before, then the balance will be made up in the capital contribution. Okay, great. So one, once you close the deal, how do you manage your assets? We use third-party property management. And then for all the deals that I've done so far, I've served as the asset manager. Okay. So any challenges managing the properties? Of course. I mean, anytime you add people into the mix, you're going to have challenges. And I mean, it can be something as simple as not doing your model properly. I, I know specifically that you know, there's one property where I modeled the taxes at $1,000 and it should have been $10,000. First property manager that I bought or that we used, they weren't the right property manager and I executed the termination clause and they executed the early termination fee, which forced me to pay a quarter of fees that when they weren't actually managing the property, we've had vacancy issues because we weren't actively marketing a property aggressively enough. I mean, you think about COVID with the toilet paper shortage, we had some plumbing issues because people were flushing things down the toilet to wipe after they wiped themselves that weren't actually flushable. Uh, I mean, it's just a number of different things that come up along the way. But anytime you put 100 people into you know various properties, you're going to have issues. And I think that's the one thing that we don't talk about enough. And you mentioned multifamily missteps in my my bio. That's why I started that podcast so that we can actually hear the real war stories from operators in the space. Do you have any kind of passive investing experience? No, not in multifamily. I used to invest in fix and flips doing hard money lending, but I don't have any in multifamily. So uh, what kind of benefits passive or active investors will get by investing in apartments? You said what benefit the active investors will get or passive? Yeah, Yeah, both. Yeah, so I I don't, I guess for the passives, they get to go along for the journey without having to do much work, right? Their biggest contribution is re- vetting the operator and then reviewing the deal and wiring money. That's pretty much their contribution. And if the deal goes well, they'll get a return on that equity. And if it doesn't, they won't and potentially lose the money. For the active investors, there's because you're active, there is an opportunity for you to leverage the your sweat equity in the deal to gain some wealth. And so, for instance, if you're the deal finder and you get a piece of the deal because you found the deal, that is meaningful depending on how big the deal gets on the net operating income level. Because on the backside, that can turn into some real dollars, sometimes six or seven figures, depending on how big the deal is. Okay. So did you complete any full cycles for any of your properties? No, we're holding everything. Uh, The majority of the assets that we've bought so far are things that we want to keep for a really long time. And unless the market 
gets really aggressive and people are willing to pay something really, really exorbitant for it, we're not going to sell. Okay. So how do you see COVID impact on multifamilies? I, I don't. I think there's a temporary blip and temporary, I guess, is relative in the, in the grand scheme of things, but people need a place to live, right? And they're not going to be able to buy because a lot of people's employment has been impacted. So they're going to have to live somewhere. There's but so much household consolidation that can happen where people move in with relatives and so on. And so when you balance all that up, I think multifamilies are very solid asset class fundamentally. And because it's solid fundamentally, I think we're in a great place in order to capitalize on the increase in demand for what we're offering. Okay. So what is your greatest success in multifamily investing? And could you share more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a tough one. I think for me, you know, if we want to measure success by dollars, we were able to buy a property for $1.375 million and it appraised for $1.7 right before we closed. You know, I think that's pretty impressive considering, you know, a lot of people say that you can't find any deals on LoopNet. That was that was a deal we found on a commercial listing service. Um, another deal that I'm pretty proud about is our Myers Point at Greenbrier property. We were able to, well, no, let me go to the first property that we did because I think that's a pretty big home run. So we bought that property with average rents at $695 and today it rents for $1,195. And so you can imagine what that does for net operating income on the property and how much that drives valuation. Um, our Myers Point at Greenbrier property is the first one that I did where I was the lead on the contract. And on that property, you know, we've been able to take rents from 500 or 525 to 700 today. And so, you know, we're able to execute these repositions, uh, drive up rents through executing pretty aggressive renovation plans, and it's paying off in top line revenue for us for sure. And challenges you faced during early stages of your multifamily journey, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Rama, and I appreciate you asking it. For me, I think every investor has the same four challenges. It doesn't matter whether they're new or old, and it's knowledge, experience, deal flow, and capital. And you know, when you're starting out, knowledge and deal flow and experience are the big ones, but you can't get experience without having somebody with experience. If you're going to do something that's a bank loan where you got the bank providing debt for the property. So what I say to people is get knowledge, find some curated content and go deep on one person. If you're listening to everybody's podcast, if you're watching everybody's YouTube video, if you're going to a bunch of different conferences, you're going to end up confused. And if you don't have an actual property to apply that against, you won't know what's useful and what's not. So pick your favorite educator and then go deep on their content and then supplement as you get deeper into the process. But the big thing that makes your person valuable early on is being able to get deals, right? And so you need that knowledge to apply it against the leads that you find through the various sources where people source deals from to figure out if you have a deal. And if you have a deal, you can bring that to an experienced partner who then can probably connect you with capital to get the thing done. Too many people think that if they've got a deal, then the capital will show up. That's only half the battle. You've got to have some experience, especially if you want the bank's capital to show up. Agree. So what was your biggest failure and how did it change you? I think the biggest challenge for me so far 
has been that first deal. I tried to buy the first deal by myself and the bank wouldn't lend to me. In fact, 10 banks wouldn't lend to me. And I'm grateful today that they didn't because if they had, I'd be bankrupt. And so it's not something that I actually realized, but when we were going through the renovation, we ended up spending a whole lot more money than I thought that we were gonna spend. And if it was just me and my balance sheet trying to do this deal, then I would have ended up bankrupt because it exceeded my capacity. Okay. Can you please share something you're excited about now? Yeah, I think I'm excited about what the future holds for multifamily. I think a lot of people are going to understand and learn that, you know, investing in things that actually make the world a better place, the community a better place, is a great place to put your capital. Um, my friend and mentor and coach, Dr. James Bryant, wanted to pay off his home. And when we started talking about multifamily investing, he said, wait, this actually allows me to make an impact with my investment. And so he's kind of diverted from that path and started putting some money into multifamily properties. And I want people to see that they can be rewarded for doing good stuff in the community, because I, I think that is the difference maker. Doing great stuff to make the world a better place with your dollars and your time is an exponential return on investment. Awesome. So what is the best advice you have received? I don't think I got any great advice along the way. I think the things that were most thoughtful and meaningful for me, I remember standing in a mastermind with Dave Lindahl and he said, Jerome, you know, if you don't learn how to raise capital, your business is going to die. And that was shocking for me because I knew that I needed to do that, but I didn't want to do it because I felt like I wasn't staying true to the mission that I set out on, which was being an operator. Uh, I think one of the other things that I've learned along the way, and I don't think anybody said this in particular, but it came out is like I was part of the problem. We have a lack of diversity in the multifamily space. And if people like you and I aren't out there hosting podcasts, speaking at conferences, leading meetups, then there's a whole group of people who won't think that they can do it because they don't see anybody in the thought leadership space that looks like them. Right. Any advice you want to give and give it to our audience? Get education, right? The way that I did it through the School of Hard Knocks and doing podcasts and YouTube is the most inefficient and effective way to do that. Find a educator that you align with from a value perspective and then pay the cost to go through their educational program. Because in doing that, you will have curated content that allows you to speed up the process. Had I not gone the way that I went, I, my portfolio would probably be three, four, maybe even five times the size that it is today. But because I decided to walk the stairs instead of taking the elevator, you know, I am where I am. I don't regret it at all, but it, there's a faster way to do it. And I think there's a whole lot less painful way to do it. Okay. So any personal habits that contributes to your success? Uh, you know, I'm a weirdo, man. I, before this podcast, I ran six miles. So, you know, it's committing to physical and mental health because I think in the life of an entrepreneur, it can be extremely stressful. And right. so you have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself so that you can handle the stress as it comes up. So one software tool that helped you to improve your productivity? I think, well, did you say software? Yes, any software tool or any tool. 
say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I Calendly does wonders. It runs my calendar for me. You know, I can send somebody a link. They can schedule, uh-huh. and, and you know, we know what we're going to talk about, and it's all set up without me having to coordinate with ten or fifteen emails when trying to figure out when people are available. Okay, so books that impacted your life and what way? You know, I, I am talking about the last book that I wrote because I think it will. help so many people and it's called your dream should be real and it's available on Amazon and the fact of the matter is you know most people don't hear that they might hear it when they're a kid but as an adult many of us are told that you just need to be practical and reasonable and i want everybody to understand that their dreams should be real and once you accept that and believe that you can do some pretty amazing things okay do you want to recommend any one book to listeners uh, apart from your book Um you know millionaire mindset by Dean Graziosi is the other book. So how are you giving back to community? You know I'm I'm grateful for opportunities like this to share with the podcasting community because it's given me so much. You know I, like I said I I didn't go through any formal education programs. I got all my education through doing podcasts and YouTube. And you know had these folks not been willing to create the content and share their experiences then I wouldn't be where I am today. So when people reach out and ask me to join them on their platform to share my experience, I'm always grateful to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you suggest to new investors? Start with small deals or bigger deals and what is the reason? I don't think it's practical to actually do one of these large deals. And so I want you to do a medium deal. I want you to do a commercial loan, something over 5 units but less than 30 units for your first deal and get that done with friends and family. and then use that operating experience to go do a bigger deal and start establishing your track record so you can bring other people into the fold. So would you like to add anything else? No, I'm just grateful that you got this thing off the ground and you're launching on your journey. I appreciate you having me as a guest. I'm not sure if I'm the first, but I know I'm one of the first and just excited to see you grow on your journey. Yeah, thank you Jerome. I really appreciate for being on the show. Thank you for listening. Creating wealth through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.